thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, give unto you. And we pray as, that we, as we give, that we might give from the heart, eager to support what you're doing around the world and as well as what you're doing locally. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alice and I have uh, four awesome children, a beautiful daughter, and three sons. Um, most of you have met my oldest son, though uh, you don't get to see him as often. And when our first son came into our home, this little boy, we called him Timothy. When our second son came into uh, our home, I was so tempted to call him Second Timothy. And then uh, <laughs> when Matt came along, I was going to add to Scripture and call him Third Timothy. Uh, Timothy really means, uh, in the Greek language, one who honors God. And as you think about that, what a great uh, passion or desire of a parent is to raise up a child who will honor the living God. And as we think about that, whether it's our own blood children or people that we try to influence and we rub shoulders with, uh, our desire is to impart what we have to them. And this morning what we want to do is we want to talk about keeping the faith. And really, that's kind of the theme of this, this parting shot by the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, go grab one. And if you don't normally bring one, start bringing them. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, toward the end of his message to Timothy, he writes these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As I was uh, reading through uh, 2 Timothy many times, uh, just over the last number of days, uh, and, and trying to focus on what, what do I want to impart as the, the major idea or theme in, in this book. Throughout it, he is pleading with the people whom he's speaking to, and he's particularly speaking to an individual, Timothy, but he's trying to have that kind of spill over and others who will read it later on. He's really calling them uh, to keep the faith, to take that which they have heard in the past and are trying to live in the present and make sure they live it out in the future. And if you've ever been a concern for someone spiritually, first of all, you are really pleading that they come to faith in Jesus Christ, but, but then you're really desiring so strongly that they live out what they believe. 
And they hold on to what God has given them. But so often, sometimes it can happen within the the parental responsibility that we're so afraid that our children are going to be damaged by the outside world that we put them on a defensive mode. And really, as we're called to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're not on the defense, we're on the offense. And if you're really going to keep the faith, then you need to be committed to giving it away. I was so tempted, it was interesting, as Brandon was coming up here and talking about, uh, you need to really uh, tell Mike you, you really like him so we can keep him employed. And, and then he talked about later how old I was and I couldn't go to the Sean Paul somethings or whatever like that. And, and I was thinking, well, really what you ought to be praying for is keeping Brandon employed. But anyway, uh, but that's not really why I brought this up. I was so tempted, and sometimes I do resist temptation, but as I was looking at this particular book, I, I was trying to psych myself to, up to come out here and say, I, I, just, I just got a call this morning, and, and I haven't had even the opportunity to tell my family, but this will be my last Sunday here at Grace Hills Church. Yeah. This will be the last message you'll ever hear from me. And then since I talked last week about telling the truth, I didn't think I really could do that. <laughs> but... But this is really where Paul was at. He, he was writing his last letter. He'd been in prison many, many times before. I mean, it was just like uh, he had reservations at every little uh, jailhouse in the community. But this was, this was going to be the final time. When he was in prison in Rome the first time, it was basically a white-collar prison. He was under house arrest. Uh, he could have people come and go. He had a lot of freedom. And he, he knew that God was going to release him to further ministry. But now he was back in prison in Rome a second time. And, and now it wasn't primarily the Jewish persecution, but now the real enemy of the church had now surfaced, and it was now Rome. And it was Nero that was going to turn the whole persecution of the church to be worldwide under the influence of an evil emperor. And he began to reflect back at the people that he had influenced. And Timothy was that one that he he could call so dearly his son. His son in the faith. And not that he and he alone had influenced him spiritually. We, we don't know a whole lot about the father. He was a Gentile, but he had two Jewish women in his life, Eunice, his mother, and Lois, his grandmother. And through their influence, they had been devout Jews who had really trusted in God, and they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we really believe it was under their influence that this young man came to a real relationship with the living God and committed his life to be one who truly honored God, not just in name only, but in life. But even though that was the passion of his life, uh, it was a struggle. And, And we all come into this world with strengths and weaknesses, and God delights to use our strengths as an opportunity for his strength to manifest itself. But But too often we... We think our, streak, our, our, our weaknesses are so, so powerful that we'll never be able to accomplish what God wants to do through our life. 
We know of Timothy, particularly as Paul writes him in his first letter in 1 Timothy, and even a few years later as Paul writes his second letter, that there are a number of things characteristic of him. Timothy is rather timid, and we're going to see a passage that speaks to that. We know physically it's quite possible he was rather sickly. And sometimes when not only spiritually you're struggling, but physically you're, you're struggling, you just think you just, can't, you just can't keep on keeping on. And even though he had advanced in years now at this point, he was probably much younger than I am, but he was still one who others looked down upon him because he didn't seem to have the experience, particularly as they compared him to the Apostle Paul. So as Paul recognizing that his, his chapter is going to have its ending, there's going to maybe be a little an epilogue, but it's going to be over soon. He, he wanted to pass the baton. He wanted his son in the faith and those sons in the faith and those daughters in the faith to really get it, to, to keep the faith. But to understand to keep the faith, you've got to be committed to giving it away. So with that as a backdrop, let's, let's look at the, the last message of Paul not at Grace Hills Church, but at, but at Ephesus. And really not in person or over an internet feed or a radio broadcast or television broadcast, but in, in a written form. His message is given out. And it speaks to us about keeping the faith and understanding it's all about giving it away. So if you have your Bible this morning and we got a lot to cover, let's, uh, let's, let's look at some things that Paul passionately shared with Timothy as he recognized these were maybe the last words he would write to him. Let's pick it up at 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. So you see the passion of, of Paul for Timothy. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. And I read that backdrop just for, to say this. If you're going to keep the faith, you've got to make sure you've got the faith. And your faith is genuine. It's not the faith of your parents. It's not the faith of your friends. It's your faith in the living God. And Paul was convinced of this. But even though he was convinced of his genuine faith, he, he calls him to live it out. So in verse 6 he says this, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And, it, and it, apparently God had, had demonstrated the, the gifts and talents to, to, to Timothy in a, a very obvious way. He says, I want you to take that which you know you have and stir it up. It's interesting, the word stirred up has the idea of firing up. But as he tells him to fire up that which God has put in your heart, he recognizes it's not going to be easy for Timothy. Because of the tendency of his personality, you want to call it weakness or tendency. For he goes on and says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, this is one of those verses that you can pull out many times whenever you're in a fearful situation. I've had opportunity to 
at times, uh, surf with Steve Morris. And whenever there's a big wave, he starts, he keeps quoting me, God has not given me a spirit of fear, let's go for it, you know, and he, he pulls out. Well, you know, that's not really the intention of that particular verse to get down a big wave when you're not sure you can get down a big wave, or whatever it might be. What this verse particularly speaks to is, is to live out your faith. And even more specifically, don't sit on the sidelines, but, but use your gift and your talents to serve him. Do something for the kingdom of God. And it really speaks to all of us. If, if all we see in our faith is learning and then leaving, then we've missed it. It's not about learning and leaving. It's about learning, leaving, then serving. It's interesting he uses, up, he uses the idea of stir up or fire up. And, and what was going to happen, in fact, probably had already happened in as Paul writes this letter in 67, in 64, Nero got up one morning and decided that he wanted to fire up, but not just fire himself up, he wanted to fire up Rome. And all historians basically feel that it was Nero who, who lit up the capital of that empire. And for six days, the, the flames were roaring throughout the city. And it got to such a temperature, not only that the, the poor shacks of the, those who were impoverished were concerned, but those who were rich in their massive stone homes were just melted. And the public buildings that were just so magnificent. And the temples and the shrines all became ashes. And when the finger began to, be, began to be pointed at Nero, what he did is he turned around and he said, I'll take some unpopular group. And he pointed to Christians who for a while were protected. But then they became religio illicito. They have been protected under the, the Jewish umbrella. And they wanted to have peaceful relationships with the Jewish culture. And they just saw Christianity as just part of that. But now they pointed the finger at the Christians. And then, as Tacitus writes, all hell broke loose on those who followed Jesus. And all the unimaginable tortures that could be done to people that were now inflicted on the people of God. And, and so as, as you think about point people for the message of Jesus that would throw people into persecution that could cost them not only their lives, but maybe their, their children's lives. And, and you're the leader of the pack. There was much for Timothy to be fearful about. But he says you can't allow what God has given you to lie dormant. You've got to keep the faith by giving it away. And there are two groups of people you give your faith to. It's those who are already in the faith who so can help their faith grow stronger. And then you give your faith away to those who don't have faith so they might come to have faith. So he speaks here to minister to the people of God. And even when you are fearful, recognize that fear does not come from God. But what comes from God is power and love and a sound mind. Now, all of us wish we had a better mind than we have. But he's saying here, you have a mind that can be used of God in a disciplined, self-controlled way to do what God wants you to do. So, so how do we keep the faith? By giving it away, by first of all, recognizing that God wants us to faithfully use the gifts and talents that God has given you without fear. Let me, let me just put it, let me put it in context. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ right now, and, and I would say, okay, well, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to select volunteers to come up here right now and share the personal testimony. 
How many of you would write down, down that I wouldn't make sure I'd get your, your, uh, your uh, connection with your eyes? How many would be a little fearful that I'd pick on you to be up here to share your testimony? See, what would you, it, you'd be filled with fear because you're, you're afraid you'd mess up up here. And God said, don't be, don't be filled with fear. If, if you have the opportunity to speak for God, then just speak for God. Don't let the concerns of what others might think stop you from speaking out about the things you have in your heart. So this week, we'll have opportunities to speak for God. And the question is, will we be filled with fear or will we be filled with faith? How to, how to keep the faith by giving right? Number one, use your gifts and talents for God. Secondly, and this is one of those books, 2 Timothy, and as I went through this book, I kept thinking, these are all verses to memorize. These are just like take-home verses. Let's look at a second one. In fact, this is the one we want you to, one of these verses we want you to memorize this week. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And whenever you have a writer, whether it's Jesus being recorded, his recorded words, or you have the writers of the, the epistles, the letters to the churches write, and they, and they make statements like that. The reason they're pleading with people to be strong, because at that moment, those people feel that they are what? Weak. And, and when they are called to be filled with God's grace, which is God's help, empowerment, enablement, is because at that moment, they don't feel that they're filled with God's grace, empowerment, and enablement. So you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But when we think about getting God's strength or God's grace, it's never for the purpose of just sitting there. It's always for the purpose of now doing something with it. And so then he goes on and says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it simply means this. We need to... Give away the faith by teaching what we have been taught so others can teach what they've been taught. In other words, pass it along. Take what you know about God and tell somebody else about God. Every one of us ought to come each week, each day, with something to share with someone. You know, what's the word from the word today? What, what have you been learning? What has been God, God been teaching you? Be sharing your life in Christ with others. See, what we have been taught, we are called by God to teach others about that. And the reason he throws in this phrase, among many witnesses, he said, you know, I did this in public. This wasn't done, you know, in some little corner here. This is what I do all the time. And really what he has here, he has multiple generations. You have Paul, first generation, going to Timothy, second generation, who then speaks to faithful men, who are the third generation. And he said, now the faithful men, and men and women there, now you give it to somebody else, four generations. So we need to recognize that we're not here just simply to be taught. We're here to be taught so that we can teach somebody else. But even that goal is not far enough. We want to teach them so they understand. Now you take what you have learned and you teach somebody else. And then when you teach somebody else, you tell them now you teach somebody else. There ought to be a spiritual multiplication happening among God's people. It's as simple as that. Don't simply take in. You've got to give it out. You know, there's a, there is a gift of teaching. There is a place where someone, some people, because of giftedness and training, will do a, types of teaching others will not. But in some ways, every one of us is called to be a teacher. 
And it simply says, what you know, tell somebody else. Thirdly, well, how does that happen? How do I really become effective in doing that? And I'd put it this way, by being a student who does the homework and does whatever it takes to learn the material. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And we've had this as a memory verse uh, for the month as well. And b- b- by the way, just in case this doesn't become very clear, these verse cards in your bulletin, did everyone get a bulletin this morning? Okay, these verse cards are not simply to see how many of you can keep it in the bulletin before it falls out before you get to your car. Okay, that's not, that's not the goal of that card. The, the goal of the card is to take it with you, put it in your wallet, put it someplace prominent, and then work on the verse. These are all, sometimes I give you harder verses than others, but these are all doable, I'm going to give you during this fall focus. This is a verse that we want to put to heart and mind to remind us that we're not spectators, we are participants in getting out the faith to others. Uh, also, by the way, in, in your outlines this morning... You notice that there are some questions after the sermon outline? Okay. Now, some of you, various times during the week, might have to miss your life group. I'm hoping everyone's in a life group. But let me just tell you, you can still do the homework. All right? You can still answer the question. Even for Sean and Paul, they, they didn't think they were supposed to do the homework. And I had to remind you, these questions are for you before you get to the life group. I had to give them a little grief, okay? As is, is we think about a place like this, is that we need to recognize this is only one or two hours on Sunday. That there are 168 total hours in a week. And we need to recognize that if, if we don't know a whole lot about our faith, it's the only person that we can blame is who? Ourselves. Ourselves. And so we need to make this a diligent effort. And that's why he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. And, and quite frankly, I'm not going to be the one grading you. You know, there's someone with a, with a much bigger red pen. And they say, I, I gave you words from me, and what have you done with them? There was, you go back in our church, in our, not church history, American history, some of the founders of Yale and Harvard, they came from a Christian perspective. And I remember reading about one president, I think it was the president of Yale, and he said this, you know, if I had to choose between a student going through our program without an understanding of the Bible and going to a place where they understood the Bible, I would much prefer they go to a place where they understood the Bible than simply going through the classes that we offer. Is that we are all called to be students of this book, to, to know it. And so he says, be diligent, present yourself, approve to God. As a worker who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a lifelong challenge. Now, many translations, what they say there is, in fact, the New American Standard says, handling accurately the word of truth, which it really doesn't matter what you think it means. It only really matters what God thinks it means. And so we need to understand, we need to think through the passages. And really when it says rightly dividing, it really comes, literally, it comes from uh, a Greek word that says to cut it straight. Now, there's a, there's a number of reasons why I'm a pastor and not something else. I actually started another course other than being a pastor. But some of you who are in the construction field, I, I'm amazed at what you can build and put together. 
I, uh, I try to do as much, as much as I can around the home because I'm too cheap to go hire somebody else to do it. But when I try to build things with wood or whatever like that, you know, I, I get very careful to, to make sure I'm, I'm measuring it and then cutting it straight. And no matter how hard I try, I always get it wrong the first time. I don't know what it is about that. And let me tell you, if you don't have it cut straight, it's not going to work at what you're trying to build. And so he just pleads with Timothy. He says, this is not new to you, but you need to recognize God's looking. And here are the tools. I was sharing in the first service. I don't know if I shared in the second service, but a couple of weeks ago after Warren Williams preached and Ian preached, and, and, I, and I said this, you know, I, I really love it when some of our elders come up and preach up here because it's just an illustration that it's, I could very easily be replaced, all right? There are so many people who can do what I can do. I can't necessarily do what they do in the computer field, in the law field, or in the construction field, but they can do what I do. And really, that's true of all. We can all know God's Word. So if we're going to give the faith away, then we better know what our faith is. Fourthly, we need to count the cost. We need to count the cost and know it's not going to be easy. And I don't mean it's not going to be easy as far as being a student of God's Word or doing the questions you know, for the life group or memorizing a verse a month or whatever it might be. I mean, that actually is easy. But there's going to be, there's going to be a pushback if we really live our lives for God. Now, it will take in very shapes and, and forms in terms of where we live and who we're living around, but there's going to be a pushback. Have you ever been around someone who had a little box of Bible promises and they pulled one out for each day? And that's a great way to kind of go through promises. Some people might buy books, you know, all the promises in, in God's Word. And there are a lot of neat ones. I mean, most of the ones we like to, to quote are, is verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that a great verse? And let me just put that in context if you didn't quite get, get it this last week. That verse really speaks not about being able to do things you can't do. It's talking about the things God wants you to do. And that's learning to be content no matter what's going on in your life. But let me give you another promise that most of the time we don't want to claim. Now, all the promises in God's book are mine. Well, how about this one? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. That's, a, that's not just an idle statement. That's a promise. Now, there is a condition there. If you are a follower of God and aren't desiring to live godly, you'll probably be able to sneak, sneak your way through. You know, you could be a you know, CIA Christian, Christian <laughs> in, anon- in anonymity, you know, where people don't know you're a Christian. But, but once you lay it out, there's going to be a pushback. Yes, on all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we need to recognize that if we're going to keep the faith, we've got to be willing to give it away. And when we give it away, it's not always going to be easy. Now, we live in a, in a country that God has blessed. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says we ought to pray that we ought to be in a place that we can live good and quiet lives. And so often we don't get that kind of pushback where we're fearful of our lives. But there are those in the academic world who, who can't get positions because of their belief in God and belief in Jesus Christ. There are those in the, particularly the, the biological sciences and the, the sciences that particularly relate to 
evolution and creation. They can't get positions. They can't sometimes finish their degrees because of their position on evolution and creation. And they have to decide, am I going to capitulate or am I going to be true to the faith? And so as we think about whether it's at school or in our neighborhood or people we know, is that we need to recognize that we want to live our faith by giving it away, but sometimes there's going to be a pushback. Fifthly this morning, and this kind of relates to what we looked at before. How are we going to give away our faith? By thoroughly equipping ourselves to do God's work with God's word. This is what the God's word says about itself. All scripture is inspired by God, which literally means to be God-breathed. It comes from him. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be, be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we are not immersed in God's word, then, then really we're, we're left astray in the, in the journey of walking with God. You look at even some of those particular statements about it. It's good for teaching, which, which is telling us which way we ought to go. The reproof, it's, it's telling us when we're, we're off that way. For correction, it's telling us how to get back on the way. For instruction, for righteousness, that's how to keep on the way. And when we recognize that's what it's all about is, is following Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, how do we know the way? Through the Word of God. It tells us what the path is. It tells us when we're off the path. It tells us how to get back on the path. And it tells us how to keep on the path. And that's the only way that we'll be complete by knowing God's Word. And I had some conversation this past week. And it was about... And we need... Well, make a quick point here. As we understand what is true about spiritual things, our source of truth is only one place, and it's the Word of God. I don't want you to say, I believe this is because this is what my pastor says, or this is what my church says, or this is what I've always heard, or I read this in some book. I had a conversation with a group of pastors, and they were talking about a recent book on on, on heaven. And we got in a little bit of debate how authoritative that was. Let me tell you, you never be, you should never be convinced about what you believe based on your experience or someone else's experience. You stake what you believe based on what the Word of God says. Now, you can cherish your experiences, you can reflect upon your experiences, you can do that with other people's experiences as well. But you can only define what you believe based on what God has said. Sixthly, and this is is where I want to end up this morning. We're to call to keep the faith by giving it away. And as Paul is is finishing up with Timothy, and and as you think about that, it's interesting, as as Paul wrote to Timothy, he, he wrote really a letter of encouragement there there are a lot of things he says about them. You can do it. You know, you've got power and you've got love and you've got a sound mind. I know you're struggling, but you have all that you need to, to live out your faith for God and really make an impact in the world. And this is coming from prison where he's just about to, to be beheaded by Nero and his thugs. And as he writes this encouraging letter, he has one personal request. He, he said, well, could, could you take you know, a sabbatical from Ephesus and come by and see me and bring Mark with me? And, and even though where I am is kind of dark and damp, there's not much light, I can't write a whole lot, can't read a whole lot, but bring me the books. I still want to read. 
And, and could you bring me also a coat because it's kind of cold in here? But, but as, he, as he finishes the letter that way, he gives another parting shot to Timothy. And, and he challenges to live out where he doesn't feel he's necessarily gifted. But this is what we're all called to be. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, apparently Paul looked at Timothy and he had been there when his, gift, his gifts were made manifest. And Paul probably did not have, or Timothy probably did not have the gift of evangelism. Which is interesting, the word evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4 as it speaks about God giving gifted people to the church and some are evangelists. It's used in Acts chapter 21 when it speaks about Philip being an evangelist, and we see how he did that in Acts chapter 8. But this is the third time it's used. And really what it's speaking about here, even though you are not gifted in here, even though this is not necessarily your, your, your talent-based or, or how you see God has empowered you to be, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Even though the noun form is only used three times, the, the verb form is used 54 times in the New Testament. Which simply means this, that we are all called to spread the gospel. We're all called to, to share what we have with somebody else. And though Timothy wanted to, to put that on to somebody else, he said, you can't. We've all got to do the work of an evangelist. You know, Jesus says this, but, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. See, a witness is simply someone who, who tells others what they've experienced. They just tell others what they know. They don't have to be an expert in the field, but they can be an expert in what they know and what they've experienced. So, so as we think about keeping the faith by giving it away, it really ends up here, doesn't it? It's looking within our oikos, a word that we throw around here at Grace Hills Church, the oikos, that, that relational world that each one of us has. Those neighbors that are your neighbors, the people that you know at school, the people that, that you do life with, the people that, that you care about, the people that you know them and they know you, and, and the new people that God's going to bring into your life. That you are going to be the best preacher for them. You're going to be the best evangelist for them. Right next to us, there's a house that just sold, and we just, we just met our neighbor-to-be. His name is Chris. And as, as soon as he came over, Al said, hey, we're going to have you over for dinner. Just building a bridge. We don't know where he's at spiritually, but we, we just want to build a bridge to be able to tell our story. We never lead anybody to Christ. God leads people to Christ. But we can be the people who tell the story, who show that we care, and enter into their life. See, ministry has complexity, but in many ways it's, it's very, very simple. It's someone telling us about the good news about Jesus Christ. Us coming to that point where we're convinced and see our need. Responding to that invitation taking that into our own heart and life, and because of the joy that God gives, then sharing that with another, and hoping that they will continue to pass that baton. There was a time in Olympic history where 
there was one event that you could just bank on that the Americans would win every single year. And that was often the last race that was run in the Olympics. It was the 400-meter um, relay race. And the reason was, even if we didn't have necessarily the number one runner, we'd have the number two, three, four, and five runners. And no matter who we would go up against, we knew that we could win that. There was only thing, one particular reason we wouldn't win the 400-meter relay race. And that would be if one of the four runners would drop the baton. God wants us to keep the faith. To, as Paul said, I've, I've finished the race, I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. But if we're going to keep the faith, we've got to be committed to giving it away. Let's pray. Father, we are all so unworthy to be called in your family, but also called in your service. We all so often miss the opportunities you bring our way to represent you well. Sometimes we're filled so much more with fear than we are with faith. And yet, Father, we want to claim the promise that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And what you're concerned about is, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? Well, I would just pray that we might be a people that are so in love with you and so realize how much you love us that we just look for ways to give our faith away. Father, the moment we're going to be taking the Lord's table, which speaks of the price that was paid for us to be considered righteous in your eyes, fully forgiven. Might as we partake of the cup and the bread this day, might you just remind us of how much you've done for us and the privilege we have to share that with others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.